Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Did you receive the ball, sir? I'm sorry, no, hold on, what are we doing? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I don't know what that is. (laughs) I I, I love the randomness of my podcast. I give all of my guests a a ball, an imaginary ball, which I give them a short pass. And a recent podcast, Johnny Joel said, I got it, Paul, and uh, I'm done with the ball, what you think I should do with it, and I make the space, etc. Leo Monaghan, welcome to uh, Book Corner Extra Time, sir. And that, Thanks for having me. That pass that you got, where did you put it? Uh, I'm an old centre-half, so I just got rid. Right, OK. We're going to be talking about <laughs> Thou Shalt Not Pass. So I'm guessing that's why you wrote that book. I want to talk about The Three Kings, because mm. you wrote a fantastic book on the back of Johnny Owen's wonderful documentary. So I want to know about the dynamics of that. Also, you've done a documentary recently Um, I want to talk about that, but I want you to introduce yourself and talk about your back catalogue and how you got into journalism. I believe it was through your dad. He was an absolute legend, wasn't he, with a pen? Yeah, well, my dad sort of had a a say in it in terms of I grew up with the sound of his fingers on a typewriter, which probably inspired me without realising. I grew to love football through dad, and he was John Moynihan, who covered football in the 60s, 70s, 80s for the Sunday Telegraph, football correspondent there. So I guess people get taken to the match with their dads, don't they? That's the sort of the way it happens for so many of us. And dad was working every Saturday, but I did, I was lucky enough in the good old days when people were a bit more relaxed at football, he he used to take me to the odd match and I'd sit on his, his lap. Uh, whilst he did his filed his copy and it, I, I loved it I loved the sort of buzz of the press box from then uh, had slight dreams of playing the game and it didn't quite work out for me and so and I, I wasn't that I wasn't that academic actually but it sounds quite funny from someone who's made a career out of writing books but I did like I did like writing I like sort of um, history and writing and I just thought that's the thing to get into and after university I just started sending off articles and got a job at first sort of making the tea at 442 magazine which who I still write for now and then and very quickly realized I wanted to be my own boss and um, I just started going freelance and that's what I've been doing for the last 20 odd years so you know writing for a lot of different magazines papers online and then got into books which i really love i think books have become my thing and that's uh that's the sort of i like the space you have um the space you get writing books if there's some sort of football analogy there probably but um if i was a footballer i'd like to sort of I'd probably be jan mulby <laughs> and jan made space for himself there jan you go. didn't do an awful lot of running but Great no. footballers and world-class <laughs> players always find that space. And people say, well, how do they do that? 
They do it because they're very, very talented. I always used to think it was a simple game until I've recently interviewed John Giles. And John said, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult game, Paul. You're mm. always learning. I, I was always learning throughout my career, and I'm still learning now. And I yeah. think that sometimes we do think that it's a simple game, complicated by idiots. But it is a difficult game because if it was that simple, everybody would be playing it. Everybody would be bloody good at it as well. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's far from simple. I think you can you can overthink it and tactically get a, tie yourself in knots. I think yep. some co- coaches do that. But yeah, I think it's you know you're, you're playing against you're playing against great players. Of course, it's not simple. No, you've got to you've got to the best do find a way of making it look simple but it isn't absolutely when was your first book leo what was the first title that you wrote and how did you get into it my first book was in let me just think back to 2004 i did a biography of gordon strachan now i had no affiliation to to i'm not scottish i don't I don't support any of the teams that Gordon played for, but I was asked by a publishing company. Gordon was, Gordon had made himself a little bit of a cult figure at the time. He was managing Southampton, yeah. and his his I don't know if you remember his his match of the day interviews and like post match interviews that had become quite sort of you know the the internet was fairly young back then and we didn't have social media, but people were were kind of noting it and it you know he'd, he'd be quite funny and. The, the things like journalists saying can I have a quick word and he said velocity things like that and yep. made him quite the figure so I was afraid I was approached to to to, to write a book about him and it, you know I, it, I, it was something I wanted to do um and actually the more I looked into it the more I really became fascinated with this character and it wasn't an authorized thing so but I did get hold of Gordon and just say look this is what I'll be doing because I was going I was going to approach a lot of people that he worked with and word was going to get back to him. So it all went very well. In fact, I started ghosting a column for Gordon uh, in full for two years later and uh, like him very much. So I, I really enjoyed that book. He, it was funny, insightful. I mean, the story was, I'm not saying my book was, you'd have to read it to make your decisions. But no, it was it was really, really enjoyable. And um, it got me really into, into the world of publishing. What an absolute character and what a great, person to write your first book about because because uh, you're know. right they used to ask him and 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 Strachan Gordon would always be or could be very thorny if you didn't ask him a decent question I mean he <laughs> yeah. would say wouldn't he you've been all week thinking about a question to, and yeah. you ask me that right I'm off and I love people like that you know yeah. as a manager he was great as a football player he was great I remember right. doing an interview with Big Ron and he was telling me when when Ron signed him for Coventry yeah and he signed him as a I think an assistant manager if memory serves me right and they yeah. had uh, they had a five-a-side player uh, coach I yeah absolutely coach, yeah. well yeah mm-hmm. he, he literally did become that because Ron said I'd signed him I'm sure he was an assistant. Got him first day training, and he looked at him and he thought, "You know what? He's our he's best player." player. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I think well, yeah, he did turn into player coach. <laughs> I was lucky enough to get my own Strachanism, if you like, because um, having written the book, I I felt I must send send Gordon send Gordon a copy. Yeah, which I did, and then I met up with him a few weeks later, maybe a couple of months later, and I said, "Did you like the book, Gordon?" 
and he sort of sheepishly said, um, uh, Leslie liked it, Leslie being his wife. Yeah, Les Leslie really liked it, and I thought, that's good, his wife liked it. I, so I was, but I wanted to follow up on it. I said, well, Leslie liked it, what about you? And I was a bit worried, you know, thinking, oh, maybe he doesn't like it. He said, well, I'll be honest with you, Leo. I started reading the book, and then quite quite, quite shortly into it, I realised I knew the ending. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was very proud to get my own little whiplash from his tongue, yeah. But a great guy, great footballer guy. What a footballer, by the way. That often, you know, it's funny trying to tell young people just how good these people from different generations are, because they only see them in, in managers' tracksuits. But he... Um, he was just fabulous, wasn't he? And uh, what he did at Aberdeen and Leeds, I think especially, was just some of the best football we've seen. So Absolutely. there he is, the wee man. Great, great, great personality. Absolutely a fantastic footballer and, mm. uh, and, and a character as well. And I think the yep. game, we That's haven't it. got the characters like we used to. And yeah. I guess Strax Mob were probably the last of the uh, of the characters. Your yep. documentary, let's dwell on the now at the moment before we, mm. we go back. Your mm. documentary that you've um, recently cut with Paddy Barkley. Tell us about that. <laughs> Well, Pat, Paddy and I uh, were, I don't know what our t job titles will be on this one, but we were sort of football consultants, I guess. Yeah. Um, Patrick is a dear friend. He was a friend of my dad's, obviously, but then it, uh, has become a great friend of mine. And Paddy was approached by a Thai filmmaker um, who was absolutely obsessed with English, British football. Mm. Um uh, knew, knew, knows a hell of a lot about British football. You could you could bring up a player from the 80s and he'd sort of give you his resume. Um, and he wanted to make a series really for Thai TV, I guess the equivalent of sort of Thai Netflix sort of thing, a documentary series looking at all the aspects of football in all the different parts of the country. Um, and Paddy and I were sort of asked to come on board and help set up interviews, do the interviews to camera, and so we went off on a little adventure around the country, um, interviewing a load of people, including your friend Terry Cohen, who was wonderful. And uh, we hope it's gone well. I haven't, we haven't seen any of the, um, I think it's rushes, they say, in the business or any of the, uh, any footage. But we, we know he's a very good filmmaker. And if, it's, if the show is anything like his passion, then it should be, it should be a good watch. I don't know whether it will ever be seen in, in Britain. But um, we'll keep you posted. <laughs> so we literally could have some of the stars of the past. Did you do any stars of the now being stars in Thailand? Because Thailand is a massive football-loving yeah. country. In fact, Peter With managed the national team, didn't he, out there in Thailand? He did, yeah. Yeah, Peter With. I think Peter Reid had a go as well, actually. Yeah. Um, so the, 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 the sort of the essence of the, the guy's story was football of the past yeah in it was in english i think the title translates to when the pitch was young that confused a few people but it's i think it was about how he how it was and what made it so great so we were focusing on a lot of people from the past we talked what we to, to make it very contemporary we, we talked to more fat we talked to a lot of fan groups yeah just fans outside grounds but a lot we approached people like um uh, the guys at the Anfield Rap have become, you know, they started off just doing podcasts. Yeah, they're very about, good. Yeah, yeah they, and how that's how that side of supporting a team has developed, and the way people 
the way people get their football content these days is being so much more than it used to be and things like the Anfield rep um, sort of dominating that scene. So, you know, we, we it has a contemporary feel, but in terms of superstars, I mean, we talked to Gary Lineker, you know, we talked to people that about what they're doing now and match of the day and stuff like that. We, we went over and talked to Alan Shearer and Gary Lineker, which was great at the studio, at the match of the day studios one Saturday while they were, working so that, so that gives it a sort of now feel but it's definitely looking back at at golden times of, of the past i love the analogy about football match of the day and working i mean what a gig that well, is well, well they let us into this i suppose what you call a green room and they've just got a wall of fill of screens yeah and the, the three of them are sitting feet up on the sofa watching football but i mean it, you know that's where it, it's i guess they, they would argue that i mean they are working but they, and it, it all comes together on, on the saturday night doesn't it it certainly does i wish that they would do a little bit of historic content on match of the day these days because back in our day and when you were talking to the fellas about when the pitch was young the games mm. were all kicking off uh, on a on a Saturday at three o'clock, and of course mm. now match of the day it has match of the day too on a Sunday night because half of the games, especially this week uh, with Europe, will be played on the Sunday. So exactly, Saturdays, yeah. there ain't many games. But, but Paul, it was also it was match of the day, wasn't it? They chose yeah, it was. one. I mean, they they chose one yep. not by because it was the best one, but yep. they chose one to take all their cameras to. So it was a it, that was. A, that must have always been an interesting decision. Who are we going to do this weekend? Again, another bugbear of mine. It was match of the day. And it could have been, for instance, um, Fulham versus Bournemouth last week because that was a match of the day in the yeah. Championship. It didn't yeah. necessarily have to be no, you're in right. the you're right. first division. You're right, actually, yeah. And, they did, they showed games, whatever was the big game that weekend. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Terry Curran, you referenced Terry, mm. um, when he scored that goal, that wonder goal, uh, Easter, against the Blades, although Wednesday fans call them the Blunts, and then they also <laughs> call them some other derogatory Was that the uh, Boxing terms. Day Massacre one? No, the, the, bo- bo- the, boxing- the Boxing Day Massacre one was the one where they had 48,000 yeah, going on to about 76,000. Where literally, yeah, yeah, literally they absolutely massacred them but those were games that was played I believe 11 o'clock in the morning I'm going to be doing a game of my life with TC so we're going to Ah. absolutely nail down the boxing Boxing Day massacre I do quite a few of them but the the one that they played after I believe it was around Easter time when Terry Curran scored that wonderful goal at, at Bramall Lane but again on match of the day match of the day cameras I remember um, Cloughy when Brighton played Bristol Rovers and I think Warboys scored four goals I remember that from my my young days I remember being at St Andrews and we used to be singing can you hear us on the box can yeah, I remember and, it, that chant, and yeah. it was one of them things that you'd look up the TV cameras are there we're on match of the day yes 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 I remember being at Upton Park once and getting home that and watching it that night and seeing myself on the telly it was the most exciting thing that had ever happened to me. But again, it was exciting because it <laughs> yeah. didn't happen that 
often. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, obviously, I wasn't doing the, the old. I wasn't doing. I wasn't doing the old waving. Do you remember when the, the ball would fall somewhere and half the crowd would do that wave? Yeah, forget it. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. happen anymore. Yeah. Everywhere. and you do yeah. something like that, and you're probably on beyond Silla on the night as well. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Look at these muppets on. You know, television has just come out. And we're all waving to me, mom. Hello, mom. Hi, mom. <laughs> that yeah, was yeah. the staple, wasn't it? <laughs> so your most recent book is Thou Shalt Not Pass, isn't it? It is, yeah. yes. How yes. long did that take you to formulate? And the concept of, you, you've alluded to it earlier, you were a, 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 a budding <laughs> centre-half, so that's the area of the pitch. You would always look at players. And was it just British or was it European and world? But we have had some fantastic British ones. Yeah, the majority of it is... It's about it's about the position. So whilst whilst the references are all very British, there is a chapter, one chapter on the South Americans and one chapter on the the great Europeans. So to reference them, but really it's the whole book is kind of about the position as a whole. Um, In terms of how long I'd I'd have thought I'd been thinking about doing the book for year absolutely years, as I say, standing standing in the in the rain on Hackney Marshes on a Sunday morning, it probably gave me something to think about, you know. Like, mm. And that, and the position at an amateur level always made me laugh more than anything because it was always the big brute at the back, wasn't it? The sort yes. of John Smith's advert. Yeah, and and that's and that's actually how the position I always felt was still sort of considered. Um, the big brute who launches it into Rosehead. Um, even in this, especially in this country, which is funny when you think maybe one of our, maybe, I mean, we could sit here and argue it, but the, the most talented British footballer that ever lived was a centre half. So, and a very silky, knowledgeable footballer he was. Bobby are Moore, we, you know. I was going to say, are we talking Bobby Moore or Neil Franklin? <laughs> Neil Franklin, good player, apparently. Yeah. So I read. Yeah. Um, so that the, the whole thing fascinated me about how it's the one position that, it's changed and become so vital recently and whenever I, if I talk to foreign guys about it different cultures saw it differently you know I, I was lucky enough to get a lot of time with Virgil van Dijk and you know being Dutch how those okay. things married how those two things married you know um total football and the position so the whole thing I felt there was certainly a book and I was certainly had enough passion for the position to to to, to try and make it work and hopefully it did with 24 and total football, we've ruined his Michaels. He was actually without a couple of centre-halves, wasn't he? And he stuck Ariane at the back. And, yeah, and, he, and yeah. he played midfield players at the back. That was It was more of an accident than a, than a design. And it, and it absolutely worked. And that was the, 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 uh, the prototype, if you like, well, for just, the game of football. Well, yeah, well it, was, well, it was just at the time when when Liverpool, when Liverpool did just that. Um, they'd been beaten in the European Cup. Um, quite heavily by a, a Red Star Belgrade, I believe it was. Um, and with Shankly going, leaving, and Paisley and Shankly had talked about it. And when it was actually when uh, Shankly left, that Liverpool decided, I think Shankly was going to do it anyway, but Paisley really wanted to try centre uh, midfielders at centre back because yeah. they were going to get the ball more and more and sort of be very patient, especially if they wanted to win their. The European Cup that was had become quite elusive to Anfield, even though they go on to win it so often. 
But they moved, you know, Emlyn Hughes was a great fullback and midfielder, really, but they moved him in there. And mm. and Phil Thompson, I mean, to look at him, you think of nothing else but centre-half, but he was quite a gangly holding yeah. midfielder. But great on the ball. Very good on the ball and wanted to get on the ball. And that really started in terms of British football and really changing the position. And as I say, being far more patient and con- continental, as we now call it. He was one of two players, uh, captains of an English football European winning Mm. team that went to the same school. Dennis told you that, I'm guessing. Dennis Mortimer, yeah. I I think I did know that. I think I did know that. So I Mm -hmm. brought it up with Dennis Mortimer. But isn't that amazing? We'll have to get it confirmed. But is there another school in Europe that's produced, or in the world, that's produced two European Cup winning captains? I would think it's probably not happened before. We never know yeah. because we don't there may know be some Europe. School in, there could be some school in Milan or some of Madrid, but if someone could try and find out and let us know, that would be <laughs> great. Madrid would probably be my first port of call to have a look. <laughs> yeah. but, but, you know, who knows? But yeah. again, two Scouse lads. And uh, Kenny Swain, of course. Kenny Swain was in there in Kirby Boys, wasn't Absolutely, he? Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, he did, yeah. yeah. And, Mac- and McDermott played for Kirby Boys. So we couldn't, we couldn't work. Yeah. winners. We yeah. couldn't work out whether Terry McDermott was a better footballer or drinker. But I think we we sorted out that he was great. Can at we both. just say he's absolutely brilliant at both? <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely and, brilliant. At and both. I've heard that from so many sources. Terry yeah. Mack, what a player, what yeah. a drinker as well. <laughs> yeah, if they were to, if they were taking on the United Drinking Club, I think it, the two the two men standing were McDermott and Brian Robson. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, absolutely. But again, mm. it was the culture back in those days. The you know the Johnny Come Lately's and the new Newbies, etc., etc. Well, we, we, football players don't, can't do that. Football players wouldn't be able to produce magic if they did that. Trust me, they did because that was part of the culture back then, and it was an well, era that we conquered and mastered Europe. Yeah, I think I think it was a an, a matter of pride as well. If you if you were late into training the next day, you were seen as some sort of uh, wimp. Yeah. Um, and and actually, and I think I think. So. As far as Liverpool goes, I think that the people like Ronnie Moran and Joe Fagan welcomed it. Yeah, uh, they would quietly welcome it and say, "Right, go out, lads." But the, the key to it was drinking, was what they drank. And they, Ronnie, Ronnie Moran, for one, knew he could he could uh, if someone's had a night on the lager, which is mainly sort of water lager. Yeah, he he can sweat it out of them. They'll get him, you know. They had a thing called the sweat box where he kicked the ball against the wall, and uh, it was this very hard graph for, for like three or four minutes you were basically just kicking the ball and sprinting kicking the ball and sprinting and he knew he could get rid of it now when he found out that the likes of graham soonest had come in and enjoyed a glass of champagne or a vodka that's when he that's when he cracked down on it because that's going straight to your liver and slowing you down apparently well, so there was there was methods to the madness i'm not too sure that what they would have done with Udi because his favorite drink is vodka and orange vodka and orange yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And co- copious amounts. With him in the past. <laughs> yeah, but I would say to me, Paul, because of my lifestyle, I had to work harder in training. And I think yep. the guys knew that. So the more that they would go out and party hard, the more that they would work hard in training yep. and produce yep. it on the football pitch. And I think yep. that's the myth of today, where they look about the drinking culture and say, oh, you know, they, they, 
they wasn't as professional as the players today. Now, do me a favour. They were they were uber professionals. Yeah, they and probably had just, to be more. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Be a bit more professional. Yeah. And yeah. and it just was the way that football was in yeah, those days. Yeah. The Three Kings. Talk to me about that because it was a great documentary. What come first, the documentary or the book? And how <laughs> did you write? Did you write the book from watching the documentary? That no. would be oh okay. No, no, no. So we, I was introduced to Johnny Owen, who's the marvelous filmmaker behind the Three Kings film. Yeah, he, you'd know, he'd done, um, I believe in Miracles, yep. which is a wonderful movie about not Forest and Brian Clough. Um, so just a mutual friend of ours introduced me to him, and we had a we had a, a coffee or two in Soho one day, and we were just chatting and getting on, and he just he was talking about what he wanted to do next, Johnny, and his he was a very proud South. South Wellian, I think is that what Welsh people say? Yeah, Wellian, yeah, yeah, do, Wellian, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. For Merthyr Tydfil, which is actually for South Wales, quite a football mad place, considering most people love their rugby down there. But Johnny's father had been a miner um, and a crazy football fanatic. Yeah, and would, and Johnny, and he'd recently died, his dad, and yes. Johnny would always had always noted that when anyone, when people came on the telly on match of the day or whatever it was his dad would always say he went down the pits he went down the pits very proud of it so you know there's a lot of people whose family and links to from bob paisley to bobby robson um lots of people that had um, a history of mining whether it was themselves or they came from mining families and it just struck a chord with johnny and he um he said to me that he was really thinking of doing a movie and the, the three main ones to think about in that capacity were Jock Steen, Matt Busby and um, Bill Shankly because all three worked down the pits. Um, they were all worked underground and went on to build these football clubs. So the story was there. I mean, it's been, I don't know if you remember, Hugh McIlvany did a little BBC yeah. uh, series on the same subject uh, years ago in the early 90s, I think. And but, but Johnny wanted to make it, you know, a, a one-off documentary and give it a modern twist and keep the story out there. Because um, you know, if we think about social media and things like that these days, you know, these three clubs are the biggest, you know, among the biggest in the world, and they came from they they came, they all three of them came from these three men. So I was I was excited about his his project you know just think oh he's going to make this great thing and then that night he just phoned me and said you know what there should be a book with this a book with this documentary yeah. why don't you do it so we spoke to some people we got some publishers got some meetings and got a taker so they were going to come out together um i have to cast my mind back because it was also it's all but they, the, the, book, the book was going to come out on the release of the documentary now the film business being the film business there was a it, it stalled so i'd finished my book but Johnny couldn't quite get it out at first. There was talk of it going on, being on Netflix, but Johnny wanted it to be in cinemas. Yeah. Um, uh, which it eventually was, briefly. It was during lockdown. It came out in, 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 in cinemas and then obviously went on to Amazon. But the book had come out a year before. Um, so, but we had, you know, his, his film poster was different to my book cover. So, and I tried to write it, I mean, I, 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 my voice, my voice is in the documentary, so I kind of had a little peek into, you know, what Johnny's angle was. But yeah. I wanted to 
do the same story in a, my way, and that, and, and actually, in the, in the end, the two things really complement each other, and we we actually look, pretty much looked at it in the same way. You know, as I say, more more space with books, so maybe I have more on the mining and everything, but um, it, I think the two work really nicely together. They do, and I'm looking. I've got a lovely glass of red wine as I'm talking mm. to you. Oh, um, lucky! <laughs> and I've got the book. <laughs> to the left of it and also the dvd and mm. i'm looking at the book the book would say to me the fella that wrote the book is a liverpool fan because he's got shanks on top of busby <laughs> and jokes i had no i had no say in, the, in the, who was where <laughs> and then i would say the fella that done the documentary was a united fan because he's got busby shankly and, and steen no but, johnny's not a united fan no i know he's not mm-hmm. i can't believe that you had coffee uh, and not lager with Johnny Owen. I know, you know, you know what? When I was selling that story, I was thinking, did we have? Because now we'd be straight in the pub, Johnny and I. But oh, absolutely. I think it's one of those when you. I think it might have been even a bit too early for either of us. I think it was a sort of late morning situation, and uh, yeah, so that was. I think our first encounter was over coffees, but that would that wouldn't be the case anymore. But I've, I've read the book and I've watched the DVD and I think that they're absolutely fantastic. And you're right, the, the book, as you're reading from the book, you're watching it, it's almost... And that's what I said, they're just so interwoven, I think. Yeah, I mean, that, that was that was serendipity. It wasn't something... Mm. We didn't sit down and go, right, tell me frame for frame how you're, how you're pitching this movie, how you're... Well, you know, I didn't, I didn't think... I think... I think the two of us were so in love with the three characters that we... Uh, we probably just without realizing it was just had the same thoughts about them but um and it's hard not to you know it's it's that's what it is it's a story and it's the i love how the three how the three lives intertwine i think people know that they were great men and all you know knew each other and stuff but not so, so many little incidents and the way their lives intertwined and they, they'd meet each other and be friends become very good friends and the way even busby suggested to Liverpool that they should have a yeah. look at this guy at Huddersfield yeah. and then he said I think I'm going to regret that which in a way they did because <laughs> Liverpool became Man U's biggest rivals because of it so it's an amazing an amazing thing and I didn't know as much as about Jock Steen and really fell in love with Jock and the way he approached football and what he did at Celtic I think probably is the most incredible achievement at that 67 team is probably the one for me I think what they did and the way they beat absolutely amazing Inter Milan team took them to pieces was just so brave and, and great to see you know absolutely it was the Al Grande um, Inter Milan uh, side as well yeah you know, with yeah. Uh, Sandro Mazzola um, yeah. whose, whose father was the, the great uh, Valentino Mazzola who yeah. was the captain of uh, El Grande um, t- uh, Torino there you go yes yeah yeah great names as well oh absolutely <laughs> but, but those three men Again, when football, and we look at football through the time, and these days it's all Premier League, Premier League, Premier League, um, and Ferguson obviously gets a, a good shape because in the 90s mm. what Manchester United did. Mm. But but these men largely have been, I think, largely ignored by the modern media, and I think it's such a shame, and it's fantastic to have a book and a DVD that really mm. puts these as the three kings because they were they all built 
football clubs. And that was yep. the reason that Busby went to Manchester United because he was captain of Liverpool in his day and mm. Manchester City. But at, at Manchester United, he was given a, a blank piece of paper or canvas mm. to, to create a football club, not a team. Bill yeah. Shankly, the boot room was already there. Bill just breathed life into it and added mm. the magic to the boot room. And as mm. you say, 67, the Lisbon Lions, arguably the greatest feat by any team because mm. that year in 67, Celtic Football Club took on everybody and conquered it. And uh, we all loved Jinky Johnson. And, and, all the, and, 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 they, and they were basically a local, a team of locals. You know, there was... Um, all from the area, which is just you know will never happen again in any team. I don't think to have a to have a group of players who are all from the same, all born in a ten mile radius of the ground. I mean, it's apart incredible. from apart from Bobby Lennox, he was an Asherman. Yeah, that's he, true. He, yes. he was he was an out, he was an out, he was a foreigner. Jim McCallion told me that he was a foreigner. Gab, he was he's an Asian man. But you're right. How would that ever happen again? But Jock did it, and mm. and and again in an age where you had to win your league to be able to compete in the European Cup. Not like yeah. now you come fourth and you can get in the Champions League. But the Champions League isn't the League of Champions. It's all yeah. bunkers, isn't it? Well, the, the the subtitle to the book is the makers of modern football. So Absolutely. that was very that was very important, I think, to me to to get that across because you know you can't blame anyone. People do forget and yes. time moves on. Yeah, of course but they do. Pe- people probably think, oh, young people will think that these you know Celtic, Liverpool, Manchester United were always big, which is totally the opposite. You know what? Well, um, I think some. I think. You know, I'm a bit biased as a Liverpool fan, but I think what Shankly did at Liverpool is slightly overlooked because, yes, because because what he built stayed built. If you know what I mean, I think if if you know uh, Brian Clough, it's an amazing feat and it, it is rightly lauded as one of the great things that have happened to British football. What he did at Forest, yeah, but he, d- he didn't build it to stay built. It's a it's a it's a it's a burning comet in the sky, isn't it? It disappears. What what Shankly did club. was. Yeah, yeah, but Liverpool was a second division side, the same as Forest when um, yes, they were. Clough took off, and they but were really bit, struggling yeah. and poor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in a, they're in a city that's different. They've got yeah. a city. They've got a city behind them. A city, you know, albeit the two clubs there, but still, yeah, Nottingham Forest is more provincial. I do, I do understand that. Yeah. But what what Shankly did was get rid of any ego and say to himself, usually he, he could have brought in new staff, people that knew him and listened to him, but he saw in he saw in these quiet men who were already there, Paisley, Fagan, um, you know, Tom Bennett, people like that, that actually these, this is a, a you know, a, a beautiful well of information and football knowledge. So I'm definitely, why, why get rid of it? So the whole thing married together, lack of ego, hard work, lots of football knowledge. And, and, on, and the, 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 the fairy on top of that tree is, is Shankly's personality. And, um, the whole thing just becomes a, a sort of a, an oasis, doesn't it? Absolutely. Of, of football, and, and and then the rest is history, and they all go on to be these clubs that are, are global now. I mean, I, they, they probably all sort of slightly mistrusted the world as three men of a certain generation, but what they've built, whether they like it or not, is just global, you know, juggernauts. Yeah. What, I, what hate, are, what I are, hate the word brand, but you're right. No, you were gonna, I know, but they are. What you know when you love Liverpool Football Club, Manchester United Football Club, Celtic. I mean, 
Rangers, uh, I think, are a massive club as well. Yeah, massive. And, massive. and for me, them are the, the four biggest British football clubs. Yeah. Uh, but you are absolutely spot on. Manchester United wasn't that juggernaut before Busby. They didn't have a ground. They were, they were, absolutely. They'd been bombed by the Luftwaffe and they had to play at yeah. Main Road. You know, we're not talking about someone who's, who's just going, you know, I'm going to the easy job. It's, yeah. It was far from an easy job. He, he was offered the coaching job at, at Liverpool, but he wanted to be the he main did. man. He, yeah. he wanted to be a manager. I think the, the war had changed so many people's lives and their playing days had been cut short. So they these Shankly and Busby especially really just focused on being managers. I think that's what they were born born to be, you know. Absolutely. In Liverpool, I remember my dad saying, I remember when Brummagem beat Liverpool 9-1 nip and Billy Little scored the Liverpool goal. And <laughs> yeah. and before Shanks, you know, there, there oh. wasn't that Liverpool. But Bill Shankly, for me, growing up in the 70s, there was two managers that I used to look at at match of the day, love mm. them. And that's why I've always been a lover of anything that Cloughy done and mm. Bill Shankly in Liverpool. Mm. And as a, yeah. a 70s kid, I guess the 80s kids probably more Manchester United than Liverpool. But for me, growing up in the 70s, it was always Liverpool, the cop, you'll never mm. walk alone. I've never been a Liverpool fan because I wasn't born in Liverpool. I was brought up in Birmingham and I yeah. think my dad would have drowned me if I wasn't a Birmingham City supporter. But now, I don't, I look at football in a completely different way. But I've always yeah. loved it. Shanks, I mean, when, when he first took the job, they said, what do you want off the top bill and he said Everton son but that <laughs> yeah. was shat. he was just witty he was gritty well, the t- yeah TV you know we talked about Matt today a lot and TV was coming out and these yeah. these two guys were just made for the camera they wanted mm. to be in front of the camera and it's it, it wasn't really seen before even even Sir Matt there was just incredibly f- knowledge of football and would do things like Parkinson you know we'd go on there a bit but but wasn't that so he didn't court it so much he was of the old school wasn't he and I yes. think we just, I just felt that Shankly and then Clough. Clough was probably quite influenced by Shankly. I think he liked the, you know, the bravado and the, you know, Shanks loved his American gangster movies and, you know, Cagney, James Cagney films. And he just, he saw him and he used to wear like really polished shoes and with steel caps on the sole. So you could actually hear him coming down the, down the corridor. Apparently you knew Shanks was coming. All that kind of like, here I am, look at me, which worked for the new TV age, you know. So, but didn't he? You know, I mean, Klopp to a degree. Yeah. I look, I look at lots of things on social media, and a few people have blocked me for my opinions, etc. <laughs> you know, especially with Bielsa, there's never been a connection with fans and a football club. Did you not see Bill Shankly? Exactly. Sh- Shankly for me was, was the greatest manager that had Liverpudlians just waiting on his baited breath. Yeah. In fact, yeah. when Shankly retired and they'd done a Vox Pops, and again, having a laugh, yeah. Yeah, no one, but, no one no, believed it. Yeah, no, he's absolutely. not. You're having us on. No, because Shankly was Liverpool. And sadly, yeah. when he, he did retire, he kept going to the training ground and they had to turn mm. him away, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't ideal. You can understand, one, Shanks lived nearby. He'd built that. He built Melwood to be what it was, and that was his life: getting up in the morning, having getting fresh air, and seeing the boys. And I remember interviewing Tommy Smith years of years ago about it, and you know it was very awkward yes. for the players. And of course, what else? You don't start calling him Bill. He's he's always going to be boss. Yeah, he's always going to be boss. And 
Bob, who was such a quiet, unassuming man, probably wouldn't have said anything, but it got around that it was a bit of a problem. And I think that Peter Robinson, who recently sadly died, he was the, a great chief executive. I think he had to step in as well and just say, look, uh, Bill, you know, you can't, it's, it's, you can't keep coming, which is it's terrible, really, because then mm. he sort of, it did lose, you know, his legacy. His legacy wasn't affected because, look, he's revered now. You, I, I, I go to games and you see 14-year-old lads singing songs with about Shankly. So it, it's there. That, that's never gone. But whilst he was alive, his last years were affected by it. And I think even like Joe Fagan once commented that he thought he died from a broken heart because yes. he'd gone out too early and it was he wasn't happy with the way maybe he wasn't... He was felt like he was undervalued there after all he'd done, which is a real shame. I mean, it's... Um, if if only he knew just how much he was loved now, you know. Absolutely. All this think, time later. Yeah, he was loved then. He's loved now. I mean, he's he's mm. got the Shankly gates. You've got the spirit yeah. of Shankly. Whenever yeah, yeah. whenever I hear Liverpool Football Club, the first person that I always think about is Shanks. Never yeah. even called him Shankly. It was Shanks, Shanks and he yeah. got that 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 um that tracksuit top on, he'd always wear that tracksuit top, he'd be on match of the day, and yeah. it, it was just everything that you'd want from a football manager. Well, think, things like going around the pitch when they'd won the league. Absolutely. In, in 73, and a, yeah. a, fa- a fan threw his scarf on for him, and a policeman kicked it away, and Shanks I wrote says, that in a poem. That's, that's someone's life. I mean, yeah. and you, you, it will never be the same, but you can see the way Klopp goes up and does the fist bump. Yes. You know, it's the, it's the yeah. modern game. But there's, yeah. there's, a, there's a link. There's a link now between um, manager and player and fan. And I, I remember Liverpool got a lot of stick for it in Klopp's early his first season. They they scraped a two-all draw at Anfield against Albion, West Bromwich Albion. Uh, Last-minute equaliser. Divock Origi, I think, got it. Funny enough, and. Um, uh, everyone was leaving, you know, it was a disappointing two-all draw against West Brom, but they'd, they'd, a lot of the fans had stayed and they got the equaliser and, and Klopp led them all to the cop and did the whole kind of German arm-in-arm yeah. arm thing. And you could see you could see players like James Milner thinking, what are we doing here? We've just got a two-all with West Brom. Yeah. But it was really, I think Klopp will go on to say that was a vital point because it just created a sudden link between them all and you trust us we trust you and let's all do this together which you now see uh you see at Liverpool don't you I think you're right and I think there's that common thread isn't there it's the Mm. love of the common man and the association with football and Mm. they could relate and they all understood that the fans are so integral and Mm -hmm. so important and I think Mm. Nottingham Forest with Steve Cooper he does the fist bumps as well because he's trying to take it back to the years of Brian Clough and so many managers these days or owners Villa fantastic example of that try and forget their history because it almost embarrassed the owners that they won Mm. things before but I Mm. think you've always got to remember those golden days them Alcyon days and connect with the football family and I think Mm. that both Klopp and Cooper are modern day managers that have done that and then you know when I heard all that about Leeds and Bielsa I think yeah okay he did okay and the fans did mm. love him clearly but come on I mean Bill Shankly I don't think there's great, a greater exponent of that than Bill well it was interesting it's in the book that I think Phil Thompson went to uh, Liverpool to interview Klopp a few years ago for Sky and went up to his office and, and 
Phil Thompson was taken by all the pictures on Klopp's wall, on his office wall that he'd put up, of Shankly yeah. and lifting trophies. And mm-hmm. they sat down and, you know, <laughs> Phil had all these questions he wanted to ask Klopp. And Klopp was saying before the camera as well, tell me about why did he leave and what was it like working with him and what were his methods and what was he really like? Was he like that all the time? And, and Thompson was just totally overwhelmed that there was yeah. this guy who was from Germany who was new to the place who is enamoured by this guy because I think if you're going to do well at Anfield as a manager, you have to embrace it all. You couldn't, um, it, it's just too much in, it's, it's, it's the, it's the cement in the walls now, isn't it? Shankly's time. It's, it's, it's what keeps the whole place ticking. Yeah. I mean, he literally built the foundations of Liverpool mm, football mm. club. He's the godfather of Liverpool. So why which, which would all, you want all, to do that? Yeah, exactly. Which all three men are, you know, I think Busby's presence was always there. Whatever Fergie did, Busby was on his shoulder, you know, and I think, um, and the same as you know, the, the same as Jock, Jock Steen is, is there at Parkhead every, every, every home game, isn't it? It's sort of that feeling of, and the Lisbon, the Lisbon Lions, and all they achieved, and that that era will never disappear. And you have to embrace it. You can't be, you can't be threatened by it as a new manager, thinking, well, that's that's too much pressure on our shoulders. You have you have to be able to embrace it, otherwise you're you're going to go nowhere. Terry Curran always has a great phrase: "Some managers fear fear, but great mm. managers don't fear it." And you look mm. at Klopp, you look at Cooper; they don't yeah. fear fear. They yeah. they they want to embrace the past and bring yeah. those great times back and I think that that's that is that that is confidence mm. and I think when you have that confidence when you have that personality I think all the stars align and you're yeah. ready for greatness and I, th- yeah. I don't think it's any coincidence that Liverpool have brought back the glory years because Jurgen has adopted the Shankly philosophy yeah. and hopefully Steve Cooper will bring the glory years back to Nottingham Forest because he's done exactly the same with Brian Clough you know yeah, I don't yeah. think it's coincidence going back to you they shall not pass who mm. were your favourite centre-halves because you did reference Ron Yates I mean he's a colossus he's sort of he's one of my favorites without seeing them you know I never saw one play unfortunately but um I mean with with my Liverpool hat on it would be um I grew up with I was always fascinated by the how Alan Hansen could play because it, it was a little bit different it yeah. wasn't it in the 80s it was still a lot of you know the rules meant that the centre half could could be quite, for want of a better word, dirty. Yeah. Um, and it was still that Terry Butcher blood on the pit, blood on the shirt sort of position. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Alan Hansen just seemed to, again, a midfielder turned into a, yes. a centre half. It sort of makes it. Alan just seemed to play the the game at a pace that he wanted to play at. Centre forwards couldn't. Centre forwards went to bully him actually, and it became a thing like you can you can get at Hanson. But I interviewed Lawrence and Mark Lawrence and his great partner for the book, and he was saying that actually Alan was very brave and and hard harder than he sort of made out. Because you never you never saw Alan Hanson. I don't think you ever saw Alan Hanson with mud on his kit, let alone any blood blood anywhere. Do you know what I mean? So th- that did interest me. That did interest me. Um, I love. I think Tony Adams is absolutely exceptional footballer um and a great story about how that young 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 captain at arsenal but really the the booing and the abuse he took about the donkey and stuff and everything yes um i know he was quite put out about it and he knew he was just as good a footballer as the likes of hansen but he was 
I'm not I'm not having a go here with George Graham, but he was his tactics were to get centre halves weren't there to start attacks; they were there to defend, yes. which is absolutely fine. So he learned his craft that way. But it took it took some extensive coaching with Terry Venables on at England, and then of course Arsene Wenger to see the real Tony Adams and just how good he was. So I, I like that sort of the the journey, for want of a better word, that he went on. And I mean, the master of it all was Franco Baresi for me because he was. Not not huge, not big, but he could leap. He had a great yeah. win headers, but the way he and he wasn't he wasn't aesthetically pleasing just for the sake of it. He he was actually quite a no nonsense defender, Franco Baresi. That was his first thought was tackle, block, get out. But he did it. He just timed things so beautiful. It was like a, watching a surgeon at work, you know, just cut in, have it, and give it to Maldini at fullback, or give it to. Donadoni at right, but he just picked out a quick, very simple pass, so effective. And I, don't, I love finding as much clips as I can of, on YouTube of players like Franco Baresi because they really do make the position that mixture of quite nastiness because you've got to be nasty to stop goals and and starting stuff as well. So you know they're 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 the obvious ones for me that stand out. There's absolute beauty and art in in the oh, the yeah. art of defending. Well, funny enough, I, I mentioned that the book was in my mind for a long time, um, and it was actually watching a game in the Champions League. Tot- Tottenham were at home to Juventus yeah. and went one 0 up. It was a few years back, and then Juventus equalised, and and then maybe the score went two one up. I can't remember. They were anyway. Tottenham needed to score and had about twenty minutes to do so. And it was, and you know, being Italians, it was <laughs> they were treated deep, and my God, did they defend well! And yeah. Chiellini was at centre half with his wonderfully broken Italian nose, like Roman nose, yeah. and he was blocked. I mean, he was up against Kane and Son and that and that mob, and he was just putting his face in. And it thought, God, defenders are still doing that. They're still as much as the game's changed. You've still got this breed of defender who who will do anything to stop a goal and I remember one tackle he did at the end right in the six yard box and Buffon just leapt on him like he'd scored an overhead kick from 20 yards you know so and that made me think right that this book has to be written because this is still a position that for all its changes and what coaches are asking these guys to do still fundamentally must stick their head right where it hurts how so did you get that name they shall not pass because I think that absolutely <laughs> nails down what a defender is, and especially with the Catanaccio and the Italians. <laughs> yeah, and I think yeah. the defender for Tottenham that night was Sanchez, the Colombian, wasn't he? He was absolutely awful. And <laughs> and, and again, he's not one that thou shalt not pass because most people do pass him. Yeah, well, the, the title came from a great interview I did it very early on. It's when I... When you when you when you write a book, you well, you, you're pitching it first. So I just had to write a sample chapter as part of my pitch. And the first, I think, the first interview I did for it was with the wonderful Terry Butcher. Yeah, what a lovely and, man, isn't he? Yeah, fantastic. And we got talking, and I think, Terry will never admit it, but I think I also almost made him cry. He was very emotional about the days. I said, just can I take you to a a, a fictitious game, just close your eyes and think that you're 1-0 up at Old Trafford playing for Ipswich and there's 10 minutes left and 55,000 United fans are baying for blood and want an equaliser. And he just—he was just like, oh, those were the days mm-hmm. that I lived for. That's why we played. Russell Osman, me, Mick Mills, George Burley and Paul uh, Paul Cooper in goal. My mind's yeah, gone Yeah, it would have been Paul, Paul Cooper. Cooper in goal, yeah. Right, right yeah. Um, 
he Green just was like, right, we're, we're, we're together now. And Terry's war cry was, thou shall not pass. Yes. I think the old sort of, I think it's thou shalt, but it's it, Terry called shout, thou shall, which I like better because it was just his way of saying it. Um, so that stuck in my head straight away and I had my working title, which um, was very much agreed upon that it should be the actual title. So thou shall not pass is a war cry of... Um, of uh, Terry Butchers. <laughs> I went to a gentleman, uh, well, gentleman's evening. There was all gentlemen there, of course. It was an after dinner speak um, yeah. in a in a bar that I frequent in Wollaston, <laughs> and uh, Terry was the uh, was the guest that that night. Oh, how wonderful! Uh, and, and I had the pleasure because I go there quite often. I sit down with Andy Blair and have something to eat, and I was mm. sitting having my tea with Terry Butcher as well. And what come across with Terry Butcher? What a lovely, lovely yeah. man. Yeah. You would yeah. never put him as the centre-half, would you? You wouldn't. Oh, he was yeah. just too nice, but on the pitch, he was oh, a bloody yeah. animal. He was so great, hard. Great footballer. Great passer of the yeah. ball. Really could pick out a ball. Um, really great. Great partnership with Russell Osman. One and of that the great... left foot as well. Do you know where he developed that left foot? He used to ping the ball against the wall, didn't he? Um, um, at Portland yeah. Road or... yeah, but mm-hmm. what happened mm-hmm. earlier... He was, um, when he was a baby, he'd seen a, as we used to in the olden days, put the tea cozies on the tea. And what he'd done as a baby, he pulled it off and scalded his right foot. Yes, yes. And that's right. how we developed being a left-footed defender. Left defender yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, life's destinies, yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible. No, he what? Yeah, what a footballer. One of England's great centre halves. I think he might get. In, he might get in an all-time England team next to next to Bobby Moore. That would be some partnership. I think if you want a thou shalt not pass defender, then in my lifetime, um, Terry gets in there because. I think there was t- there was two in my lifetime, Terry and and Tony, and I would just edge towards Butch. I just thought Butch was a slightly better player, but again, it's all opinions. The centre yeah. half that I would put him by, I was slightly too young to remember Bobby, because uh, Bobby were he'd, he'd moved, he played against my team in '75 uh, mm. when he moved to to Fulham, but. The player growing up that I just had so much respect for as a defender was uh, was Jockey. I thought the um, I thought Alan Anson was the yeah. most cultured, composed yeah. centre half that I've ever seen play football. I've never really looked at the centre half position before as being an art, but Jockey made yeah. being centre half an absolute art form. Yeah. Thought he was just different gravy. Well, the great thing about, you can say about him is he. Ha, I mean, imagine how good he'd be in the modern era when it's oh, less physical and the pit and the oh. pitches. I mean, he he'd glide out on mud that they just. I don't know. I mean, a lot of these guys how they made the ball seem to stick to their feet, even though you yeah. know they were playing in sort of trenches. So imagine what they would do today. It's just incredible. Yeah, he was, and uh, I went to one with Peter Beardsley, and then Jockey got a sense of humour as well. He said to Beardo after he'd been at Liverpool a while, "You don't get much for two million pounds these days, do you?" <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So they had a sense of humour as well as being fantastic football players. Absolutely. What's your next venture, Leo? What else are you working on now? I'm just currently. You caught me doing some non-football stuff because okay. you know, pay the bills. So I'm doing a. <laughs> I've spent today, well, I'm spending my life at the moment writing, uh, this will shock you, but I'm writing about serial killers. So I guess right. it's a bit, 
It's a bit like centre halves. <laughs> Who's your favourite serial killer? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I, 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 I'm very biased towards the British, so it's got to be Fred and Rose, isn't it? No, I mean, <laughs> I, I actually shouldn't joke about. It. I mean, I'm, I'm no, I know it is very slightly, um, yeah. I'm slightly involved in doing a lot of research, and it's not it's not pleasant. So no, I should, it's but, not. You know, what what can you do? But um. Yeah, what I don't makes know. a serial killer? We've had this conversation before, but you know, <laughs> I mean, they're, 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 they're different gravy to normal murderers, aren't they? They just, you know, they're they're the. I mean, we shouldn't really make light out of people being murdered, but they are the creme de creme of the murderers, aren't they? Because they plan everything to the final well, usually, Yeah, it's quite interesting looking at the character personality yeah. traits because they're yeah often quite high IQ. Yes, but I guess it's a. It, it's, um, you know, perfect storm of lots of yeah. uh, childhood and yeah. parenting issues that they mm. had, whether, whether they were overly parented or ignored. And, mm. um, yeah. Um, but there's something know, I, in I, the psyche that makes them go for a particular sort, because that's why they are serial killers. They just go for something. I'm afraid to say it's often a, a sort of a... a a sexual thing going on and because yeah, they because they, they get off on it once they yeah. keep doing it so it's not like yeah. a, a crime where you, i've just murdered someone and i've got yeah. to hide that and i won't do it again but unfortunately there's a it's a you know it goes deeper and they get thrills out of it that mean they have to do it again i know it's not not one of the serial killers i'm writing about was a football fan so maybe they just need to take out their aggression on a saturday uh, or Sunday or Tuesday, whenever the game is. But, um, yeah, not one of them had football credentials. Who thought <laughs> that when we started about an yeah, hour ago yeah, yeah, with yeah. that short pass, we would end up talking about serial killers? <laughs> and that's what well, I love, the randomness of talking to people, you know, without any, yeah, without any script. We just talk <laughs> off the cuff, play as the Mavericks used to play in the good yeah. old days. Is there any book that you've written uh, from your library that you go, do you know what, that was the greatest thing that I've ever written? And I'm guessing that the next one will be that because that's what great writers always say. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm always... I'm always I, I, my my heart says the centre half book because yes. it was it's my it's something I was so interested in and sort of had visions of the book and everything from the cover the design of the cover Bloomsbury published it and they did a fantastic job and the cover I love and I look at it and I have a real sense of pride but I think I think because of the subject matters and how much I grew to adore the subjects was is the Three Kings and Shankly. Busby and Steen. I, I just think it's probably the best thing I've written thus far. And you can purchase, guys, any of Leo's books on the usual outlets. My usual outlet is Amazon because I go yep. Amazon, I go books, and I go Leo Monan. <laughs> right, they shall not pass uh, three kings. If you can support your local bookshop, you can often yes. you can often go into a bookshop and order stuff. So whilst, yes, you can. Whilst I get the uh, the the immediacy and and very uh, you know how much Amazon is necessary in all our lives, keep keep uh, keep local bookshops going if you can. I think that's an absolutely fantastic point to finish on, Leo, because we do sometimes forget about that. And, and yeah, me, they're really important. They're yeah, really important. I'm mm. very um, guilty of that because. I look at football books 
and I must spend about a thousand pounds a year on football books. I don't necessarily read them all, but I I think oh, I want to do a podcast about that. Yeah, and yeah. I get the person that wrote the book to talk about it. I don't yeah. need to know well, nothing about it. I, I don't want to act as your accountant, but I hope you're writing off that a thousand pounds. Well, I can... don't because it's just my hobby. I oh. do all of this for free because I, I love football. And one day, tell. if somebody thought that I was half decent at it then yeah. i might get paid and then i could say to my accountant and i have to say i'm going to dedicate this podcast to my accountant as you brought it up because <laughs> he sadly passed away oh, uh, okay, yeah sorry. and I've, I've been a, a, a customer of his for i mean i'm 57 now as a young boy i walked into his office god bless him martin and right. uh, he looked after me got me my first mortgage he sorted me out and okay. uh, i was devastated so so oh. yeah you're absolutely right but one of these days if my dream does come true i might be able to say to the new brand of accountant there's my accounts going <laughs> sorted out and write that off of the tax man then my football books thousand pound well, a year <laughs> i'll certainly be singing your praises to anyone who is hiring uh, football people because you're clearly very passionate about it and good to talk to i absolutely love it i've absolutely loved this hour can I thank you so much, Leo, Thanks for, for your me, time? And anything you. you need, just give us a shout. We'll do another podcast. Absolutely. And, uh, Look ab- forward to absolutely it. loving your work, mate. Cheers. All right. Thanks, pal. Cheers, Paul. Thank Cheers you. now, and thanks for listening, Bye-bye. guys. Ta-ra. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.